Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we continue with our team season preview series. We're going to the one and only South Beach, Florida tonight, talking to one of our favorite guests. But first off, how are you doing, sir? Are you ready to talk to uh, one of our favorites? I am. Love me some Cam Underwood. Mm-hmm. How can you not? Once again, those he- sweet, sultry tones. He might have been the first. Was he the first ever guest we had on this podcast? If not, Dan Rubin was and, and Cam was second. But he was anyway, one of the first guests we had on this podcast. And we've obviously known Cam long before we started this. He's been a friend of ours for a while. So I, I like having him on just because he's a buddy of ours to begin with, number one. But number two, he's a freaking encyclopedia of Miami athletics. It's not just football. It's mm-hmm. everything. But he's really, yeah. really good with football coverage. It's, it's funny that you ask that because before we recorded with him, I was actually kind of looking into this back into the uh, deep, deep into the annals of the Basketball Conference podcast. And the answer to your question actually probably depends on how we quantify a guest. Because I believe the, the first guest that you and I ever interviewed is like a, you know, a, a three way kind of discussion I don't remember who it was, but it wasn't him. However, it was like seven or eight episodes into this whole podcast thing that the first season, like the week one recap and the week two preview, I was in Ireland on my honeymoon watching Tech play Georgia Tech play Boston College, and you co-hosted the podcast with none other than Mr. Cam Underwood. So That's right. I remember that. So depending on... <laughs> How we quantify a guest. I also distinctly remember being in the rental car in Ireland and listening back to you and Cam talk about stuff for like an hour and a half. And that was just it was a really nice little gift from home while we were over there. Yes, that's fair. I don't listen to our audio from like 2016 when we started this. <laughs> it sounds so I I made that mistake recently. I know we're getting way off topic before we talk to Cam here, but uh, we basically sounded like we were at the bottom of the ocean. So the audio quality now <laughs> is so drastically different than it was four years ago some of that has to do with joey and i figuring out what the hell we're doing the other part of it is just like having better equipment but anyway we're in a much better spot now from an audio quality standpoint than we were that uh just i mean three or four short years ago needless to say it's been a journey mike um speaking of being on a journey uh, cam is a miami football fan and we're going to talk about the 2020 season for Miami, which is a really interesting year, I think, coming in. Year two under Manny Diaz and, and a huge change on offense, not only in the offensive coordinator, but also kind of the quarterback room. A lot to get into here. Um, a little bit of turnover on defense for once. That doesn't seem like that's been a common theme for the last few years, but there is a lot to get into. And as Mike mentioned before, 
Cam might be doing him a little bit of a disservice to say that he is an encyclopedia of Miami football. Like he he's the one writing the Wikipedia pages. Like he, he knows this stuff like the back of his hand. And, and that's not even just Miami hurricanes football. That's like Miami high school football. That's everything. I bet he's a dolphins follower. He's more of a lions fan truthfully, but I, I, I bet he could tell you all sorts of things about any sort of football that happens in South Florida. So um, absolute just gem of a resource that, that we're able to go to every year and, and can't thank him enough. I, I mean, he's one of these guests that we have on, on a relatively consistent basis, like a couple times a year at minimum. And he's always got something new to bring to the table. Um, so what you guys will hear in this interview is, is really interesting off the top. Joey has a very interesting question to ask of Cam, really to start the whole interview. And Cam gave a really insightful answer, just kind of how his mm-hmm. attitude and outlook on the program has changed and why it's changed. So that really got things going. And from there, it was just another fantastic discussion with Cam about Miami football. Yep. A question that I've been waiting to ask him for months now. And, and without going too far into detail, it was an answer that I, I was kind of shocked to hear him give. So a um, little, little uh, podcast tease there for you, Mike. But uh, without any further ado, there, there was a ton that we got from Cam, so let's not delay any further. Let's just jump right in. Um, this is our conversation that we just had with Mr. Cam Underwood of StateofTheU.com on the SB Nation Network talking about the 2020 Miami football season. Take a listen. All right, Mike, we now welcome back our esteemed guest, one of our very favorite guests, one of our longest, if not our very single longest standing guest on this podcast. The people know him, they love him. None other than Mr. Cam Underwood from stateoftheu.com joins us once again to talk Miami football. Cam, it has been far too long. How are you doing, sir? Are you hanging in there? Yeah, man, I'm good down here in sunny South Florida uh, this fine evening. But, uh, no, it's good to be back on here. I was obviously needling you guys for dropping all these other team previews. And I'm like, uh, I thought we were friends, bro. Like, I mean, come on. I know that we all live in different places, but, you know. Hey, hey now. Uh, hey, now. In our what, defense, in our defense, you were one of the first people we, re- we reached out to. And you were like, yeah, I fair. got job stuff going on. I mean. I do. Got- I mean, fair. I do. So it, yeah. it took a while to coordinate. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad to be here with you guys, man. Well, it's been a long six months, and Mike and I are still trying to figure out this whole Zoom thing. So, you know, give it to the end of the season or so. Maybe we'll have something a little better figured out. We'll see. Uh, hey, Cam, works. We, uh, it is always a, a treat having your sweet, sultry tones back on our podcast. And as I, as I mentioned, it's been far too long. And as I've been thinking about this particular preview um, really for a month or more as we've been kind of preparing to get into the season and the reason I've been thinking about it is that there's a there's a question that I want to ask you or kind of get your take on that I haven't had a chance to. And it's there's something really interesting that I noticed last season. We've we've talked to you. This podcast began back in 2016 and we discussed, you know, on other forums before that. So we've known you for a long time. And as long as I've ever known you, you have been remarkably um optimistic, some might say homeristic about Miami. You know, the, the next thing coming is always, it's great. It's going to be awesome. Miami's going to win the division, like maybe compete for a national championship. I don't see a team that they can't beat, you know, all this stuff. And and then I saw at some point in the middle of last fall, your tone changed a little bit. 
-hmm. There was a little bit of skepticism. There's a little bit of, I'm not so sure anymore. A little bit of somebody has got to prove something to me. There's a little bit less of that undying optimism that I saw from you in, in the last year or so. And I'm curious to better understand a little bit of kind of where that's coming from or, or what is, what are the concerns that you've kind of come up with in the time since? That's a great question. And that's the one that you hinted at before popping on recording. I said, I don't want to know, like, I want to give a, a live reaction. And this is uh, the, the honest to God's truth. Um, you know, it, it's come down to the point where all things being equal, I'm going to go on the Miami side. You know what I mean? And it's easy to talk yourself into all things being at least equal because Miami has recruited at a level that is above every single ACC program other than Clemson, including Florida State. I think there's a clear difference in the level of talent on these rosters now that was not even a couple of years before. Um, you have these playmakers on all sides of the ball. Uh, you just have speed. You have athletes, the types of which that you've beaten, you know, Florida State, Florida, Georgia, you know, Clemson, uh, LSU, Alabama, like you can name the who's who of college football. And Miami has gone up against them and gotten guys who are on this roster that are highly touted. And you have other guys who should have been higher touted. And then these teams came in late on and they still stay with Miami. And you see these transformations a la Greg Rousseau, who we'll talk about a little bit later. And it's easy to say that. And then, like I said, all things being equal, I'm going to choose the Miami side. But anytime that I've been on here, anytime that I've been on many of these places that I talk about Miami or even things that I've written on the website, stateoftheu.com, in case you're wondering what site that is, um, I've always said that the team that could most easily beat Miami is Miami. The one that is holding back Miami from greatness is Miami because of the lack of discipline, the um, the inconsistent nature of the performance Um you know, the outright refusal of now of, well, three coaches in a row to fix what ails this roster and fix what ails this coaching staff. Whether you want to go back to Al Golden, uh, just I don't know what that was with Mark D'Onofrio. I know that D'Onofrio ran the defense that Golden wanted to have run. But how in the world can you look at giving up all those yards and all those points and then say, no, this is the defense that I want to have run in the way that I want it run? So that's one coach who refused, outright refused to fix what ailed that team. He got fired. Mark Richt then didn't want to do what needed done, didn't want to fire his son as head coach, or sorry, quarterback coach, didn't want to bring in a quarterback coach slash offensive coordinator and give up the controller to have somebody else call the plays. He did not want to do that. And so then he retired, stepped down, whatever you want to call it, but he did not have the temerity to do what needed to be done to fix this routine, to fix the program from a process standpoint. And then you have Manny Diaz who came in here, and well, good on him that he went out in the effort to fix what ailed Miami. And that first effort failed miserably. And we're going to talk about that, obviously, with the offense and Dan Enos. But he, unlike his predecessors, said, yeah, no, 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 you got to go, and I'm going to try to do something different. But at all these times where I've said that Miami should win the division, Miami can win 10 games and realistically has more talent on the roster than everybody else. If they have any kind of consistent uh, performance, they should play to that level. Miami has proven time and time again that they're unable or unwilling to do that for whatever reason, whether that be injury to key players, which has only been a few, honestly. And with all due respect to Brevin Jordan, who is the best tight end in America, him going down for a couple of games should not have derailed that offense to the way that you saw. That's just point blank period. Um, 
and just every time I've seen them, Miami has found ways to get in Miami's way over and over and over again, regardless of the situation. And for me, now, after all these years, like you're talking about of me being the optimist, no, you got to show and prove. So I'm, I mean, it's not even once bitten and twice shy. It's been many, many moons. I think I came on here two years ago and laughed at you, Joey, when you said eight and four for Miami. Laughed openly and heartily. I was on this Zoom, whatever platform, I think we were on Skype that year, pointing and laughing like Nelson from The Simpsons. I mean, <laughs> I mean just like cacophonous laughter. I remember. And because I mean, because it didn't make logical sense that a Miami team with this kind of talent would find a way to underperform like that. Yet and still, they've done that time and time again. And Mike, I know that you and I were you know, talking about this in 2017 when we had yep. all them wins that were smoking mirrors. And you and I are on the timeline like, uh, I know Malik Rogier made some plays, but uh, yep. <clears throat> buddy, that North Carolina game, you know. We tried to tell him. Down at the half. Hit a double move to Jeff Thomas to open the second half. Great. And went 75 and ended up, you know, but like there were some games that were closer than they should have been, you know, and things like that. And for me, now you're coming up on uh, what, what's the old phrase? Once is an accident, twice is a trend, three times is evidence. We're on year five or six out of seven with 2017, excuse me, being the lone year of controverting fact. So for me, you had the better part of a decade of evidence to the contrary of Miami playing to the level of their talent to uh, to operating to a level that allows their athletes to take advantage of the advantages that are on this roster. So while I want that to be the case, I'm no longer going to sit here and say that it is. So for me, yeah, I've shifted a little bit. And I, you know, because last year, last year was a 10 win schedule. Easy. Easy. There's no reason that it, I mean, nine and three in the regular season should have been what it was at like, and, and that's like the bottom of the floor. You know what I mean? So for me, yeah, no, I, I'm just looking at the evidence that has been given to me time and time again for at least six of the last seven years, if not more. So yeah, I'm going to dial it back. And now instead of with all things being equal, I think that the potential is there for Miami, but I'm not buying into it until I see it. I do appreciate the candidness there, Cam. That's I, I, I was I was really curious just to hear what you, you were going to say, but that's that's I'm glad that you know <laughs> I, I appreciate the candidness and the objectiveness there. So thank you. Yeah, man. No, I mean like I, uh, I, I try to be candid and objective, but like that's the that's the reality to it. The other thing that I, I was going to ask about, and this is kind of again from a high level, and we we can just kind of quickly hit this before we kind of get into something a little more specific with this year's team is. There was something I saw this offseason, and I can't remember what publication or podcast it was in, um, but they were talking about Miami, and there were questions of, like, how is it that so many talented guys repeatedly, repeatedly go there, and yet the, the team itself struggles to reflect that in the on-field product? And the the answer was really interesting, I thought, and it was somebody, I think, who was, like, previous ties to the Miami program, but right. basically was saying that the the players, there's this almost disturbing trend of guys going there, almost using the Miami brand to elevate their own brand or something. They're not there to win for Miami. They're there to use Miami for themselves. And kind of this more individualistic rather than a team culture. I don't know if you've 
caught caught on to any of that or caught wind of any of that or if that's just you know total nonsense that I, I, I was I heard sometime a couple months ago. I think it's more nonsense than fact, but I think that there are instances of that and that will especially happen when you start losing. You know what I mean? Like if yep. you have a team like the 2017 team, you go 10 and 0 to start the season, you have the game canceled against Arkansas State that they're still upset about because there was a hurricane coming and they're morons, but whatever. Um, so it should have been 11 and 0 heading into that uh, game because we obviously would have beaten Arkansas State, like dispel that notion. Um, but I think that in other years, when you're not having that kind of corporate success, it then does become a mercenary situation of, okay, I'm going to come here, or, you know, I'm going to stick it out, I'm going to do what I need to do, uh, and get out of here. Um, you know, you've seen that, unfortunately, with a couple of guys on defense maybe leaving a little early, earlier than they should have, RJ McIntosh and Kendrick Norton being two of them at defensive tackle, but... I know, you know, behind the scenes, I've heard that uh, both of them had concerns about playing um, that damn Georgia Tech offense that dove at people's knees all game long and false started with the left guard every single snap. Um, you know, they didn't want to go through that another year and then potentially blow their knee out. Uh, you know, so then they left early. But I mean, at a certain point when you're losing, it does have to become, you know, individual motivation as opposed to team motivation. Uh, so I do think that there have been some instances of that, but I don't think that that's necessarily an overriding thing in the program at all. Fair enough. Cam, as far as that Georgia Tech offense, I don't know what you're talking about. That, that seemed totally clean to me, but hey, okay. your own. Right. Uh, I want to talk about one of the biggest, I think, one of the biggest, if not the biggest offseason story as it relates to personnel in college football at least. There's clearly been one or two pretty big stories in the offseason, but one of the biggest in terms of just personnel with teams was Miami moving on, as you referenced, from Dan Enos and going to Rhett Lashley, who's going to bring a, a more of a spread look and all this. And not only that, but then on top of that, you had Derek King transfer in from Houston. Um, and you'll remember that he, in 2018, had a remarkable season um, in the Bryles offense that was there for just the one year. Played four games under Dana Holgerson last year and then decides to leave, transfer. He's coming into Miami. That has been generally received as like some like huge, you know, shifting of the tides of like what this whole team and offense is capable of in college football. He, he had a huge season on the national stage. It was great. But the question that Mike and I have asked a couple of times here this offseason is we hear all this uh, this thought about how good he is and how unique of a skill set he has is. Is De'Ara King really that unique of a skill set now in in the Miami quarterback room? Because he looks a lot like what Nikosi Perry brings to the table. Are we crazy for postulating about that a little bit? Um, I don't think it's crazy. I just think that there are levels to things, if that makes sense. Like, De'Ara King is a much more willing runner than Nikosi Perry is. I think that he's... Nikosi Perry will make a guy miss and go 12. Derek King will make him a guy miss and go 70. You know, so I think that there's that uh, to it. Obviously, Derek King, when he started in uh, at Houston, he was a wide receiver uh, his freshman year. He had like a 99-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, scored some touchdowns as a receiver, you know, running back things. And then things started to go sideways. And they're like, well, this kid set records at Manville High School. Sure, he's only 5'10". I think we we're listening at 5'11". That might be a little generous. Uh, you, you know what I mean? But dude makes plays and he can drop dimes. So 
in terms of skill set, I think that they are similar, but not the same. That being Perry. Uh, and even if you want to throw in a Tate Martell, who I think is a distant third, um, but I don't think that skill set wise, they're very different. I think that the way that they use them, however, is different. Um, plus, you have a guy in Derek King who has a season in 2018 of more than 4,000 total yards of offense and 50 touchdowns combined between passing and rushing. You know, the level of performance using that skill set is vastly different at this college level as opposed to or compared to Nikosi Perry or Tate Martell or the both of them or anybody else in this quarterback room combined. That being said, there is talent in the Miami quarterback room uh, that is, you know, pretty good. I think that moving forward in the future, and I was tweeting about this the other day, look, man, this is the kind of offense that Nikosi Perry set records in in high school, you know, at Ocala Vanguard. Like the record stood for 20 years. And they were held by Dante Culpepper. Like, yeah, get your roll on, get your, get your roll on, Minnesota Vikings. Hey, chuck it up there, dog, to Randy Moss. You know what I mean? Yeah, I see Mike doing it, get your roll on, you know that. But those records stood for 20 years from Culpepper. And then Nikosi Perry stepped on campus at Ocala Vanguard and rewrote the entire record book. So the talent is there, has a cannon for an arm. He can make guys miss. Even if you look at the little snippet of the first scrimmage from Miami uh, that they released, the uh, athletic department. He's out there running, you know, making guys miss uh, and things like that. Look, so him in an up-tempo spread offense is a thing that I want to see. It's a thing that fits his skill set. It's a thing that, you know, and I talked about this with you guys last year, year before, I don't know, sometime, uh, about how you could see Nikosi Perry on the field. And he heard, so it had to be two years ago, he heard Mark Richt in his helmet saying, don't run that ball, don't run that ball. And he would look at all this green grass and say, ooh, I want to go. And then he would hear that, boy, you better not. And like, okay, and then, you know, he would not do that. Um, and I think that once you, like, once you let the reins off, you know, because you, you're holding him back, let that, let him run. You know what I mean? Let him, let him do his thing. And I think that the Red Lashley offense will do that. So as I talked about the players, now let's talk about the coach. This is the kind of offense that I've wanted for Miami to run. And I've talked about this on the website. I've talked about it on social media for more than a decade. I mean, you're going back to the, like, single-digit 2000s, you know, like – Rich Rod, West Virginia. Yeah, bring that all in. that. I mean, I've been saying that for the longest time because we have all these guys down here. Every single high school that has any kind of skill talent in South Florida runs a spread. The ones that don't. They're going to pack it in and they're going to run the wing tee because that's the kind of offense that's worked since the beginning of time. If you look at uh, Donald Cheney Jr., who came in from Belen Jesuit, that's a great academic school. It's not a good athletic school, especially – well, I mean, in certain things it is. In football, it's not. But he did numbers at running back because it said, look, we got undersized linemen. We're going to run this wing tee. We're going to run these traps, tosses, all these kind of misdirections and counters and let you get to the second level, make some guys miss, and be the better athlete. And this is a guy who's a three-time state champion in the high jump in his classification. He's placed, I think, second and third in the 100-meter dash at his classification in high school. And he obviously only did that three years because he enrolled early at Miami, so he didn't have that fourth year of track. But he does those kind of things, and that's what you get. So melding that together and letting these guys do what they do in space, that's what Rhett Lashley brings. And you've seen it in all these different places. I mean, Nick Marshall at Auburn. Is a, I mean, marginal passer might be generous. Yes. But yet and still, he's eighth in single season passing in Auburn history. 
with Rhett Lashley at the controls. Then you look and see what UConn did. And I know that UConn wasn't great, but look at the seismic change and move forward in the offense from when before he got there to when he got there. Then he goes to SMU and they do numbers. And Rhett Lashley's even said, he said, look, I had guys at SMU who were running four, six, four, seven, four, eight. I come to Miami, I got guys running four, three, four, 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 five. Yo. So now you're going to let these guys do what they do. And the reason that De'Ara King came here is because Rhett Lashley is the quarterback, is the quarterback's coach slash offensive coordinator. And Rhett Lashley talked about it. He said, look, I was on the opposite sideline from them. I would see him go out there against our defense and make plays and say, oh, boy, if he was on my sideline, I would mm, I could think of the things I would scheme up for him. Now, Rhett Lashley has Derek King on his sideline to be able to scheme these things up for. And Derek King, to his credit, threw for four touchdowns in the first scrimmage uh, for, of the fall for Miami last weekend. And even he came out to the media afterwards and said, look, I came here because Rhett Lashley was here. And there was still that trepidation of being sure that what we had talked about doing on the sideline or on the chalkboard would work on the field. But, yo, <laughs> that thing worked. And so, I mean, I cannot be anything but excited about that. You got Cameron Harris at running back. You got uh, – I already talked about Donald Cheney Jr. You got Jalen Knighton, the number two all-time leading rusher in Broward County High School football history. He's been doing numbers, had 116 yards on uh, think, uh, 10 carries in the scrimmage. You know, you got more wide receivers you can shake a stick at. Sure, most of them are young, but that's okay. But you got talent, All-Americans all over the place there. You got the best tight end in America, Brevin Jordan. You got another guy in Will Mallory who would start at probably – 95% of power five schools as the number two tight end. Look, I mean, there's things to like there. So when you have that kind of change, you can only help but get excited about it. And I think that you finally have a fit on both sides of the ball. And like I talked about in that first answer with, you know, the Mark Richt era and the Al Golden era, you had one side of the ball that was really good and one side that was really bad. And I think, and I hope, with bringing in Rhett Lashley and obviously Derek King to run the Rhett Lashley offense, you now have a requisite level offense to go with the championship caliber defense that's been wasted in the last couple of years. How much do you think Rhett Lashley helps out this offensive line? Because that's my second biggest question in Miami outside of, hey, is this Derek King thing going to work? I think that's the number one question, honestly, because unless the offensive line improves, I mean, then you're just going to have – you know, basically Derek King out there freestyling, you know, playing and one football, just like I got to, you know, Sandlot, hey, get open. Hopefully you touch life. Yep. Exactly. You know, and that's the thing that he can do, man. And Diaz even said it. He said, look, you got to defend two plays when you have a quarterback who can run like Derek King can run. You got the play that we called and then you got the play that Derek King can make happen if things go, you know, sideways. So, I mean, yeah, that's that. But I mean, no, the offensive line has to be better. And I think that the offensive scheme change is going to help them. First of all, by tempo. So you're going to wear down the defense a little bit and give them simplified blocking schemes, hopefully. And then just moving them around. We got these athletic guys. Let them run a little bit. You know, run some stretches, run some tunnel screens where guys get to be able to get out on the edge. You know, you've even seen guys in the past, you know, on some screen plays, even against Florida in the opener last year. You run a couple screen plays, you got offensive linemen 20, 30 yards down the field blocking. That's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be having them man block like we're Wisconsin because we're not you know what I mean like we don't have the Wisconsin offensive line when you've got guys that are that sized or that good 
at offensive line. So you got to do some things to help them out, move them, you know, even another, uh, you know, clip uh, from from uh, practice the other day. You know, you you run a, uh, was it a fake outside zone read or no, it's an outside zone read and it's a, a rollout waggle to the right. So if Deer King doesn't give it to the running back going left, you roll them out. And so you change the launching point. So instead of being like with the Jaron Williams last year, you could, I mean, every team, and especially you saw this as the season went on, you knew where he was going to throw the ball from. Like he's going to be back there in that pocket. He's not really that mobile. So if they call a passing play, he's going to be at what? Seven, five or three yards away. But in that straight column back from the center, he's going to be there. So if I get there, then we're good with Derek King. He can roll right. He can roll left. He can step up. He can go all these different places and you can plan the launching point for a passing play from all these different places. And I think that fluidity, that ability to move around a little bit is going to be very helpful, especially for the offensive line. We've had heavily here on the offense so far. Let's let's switch over to the defense a little bit. And it, it feels a little bit weird that we're talking about Miami and I have a couple of questions about the defense going into the year because as much as the offense has been a huge sticking point in recent years, as we've talked about plenty, um, defensively, this has been a, a pretty rock-solid program. But coming into the year, there's some pretty huge turnover, I guess, at least relative to what we've seen in recent years, um, replacing a bunch of linebackers between Shaq Quarterman and uh, Michael Pinckney. And I don't know what we're going to consider Romeo Finley at this point, but he was a mainstay on the defense. Um also, we got Greg Rousseau, as you mentioned earlier. He was a huge force last year on this defense. I, I don't know exactly how many sacks he had, but I don't have enough fingers to count them all. Um, I mean, awesome. He's opting out. There you go. Thank you. I don't have that many fingers. Confirmed. Um, he opted out for the season. He's just going to wait and play you know, or play for the NFL draft here this, this coming spring. So there's a lot of guys to replace in this Miami defense, and yet – I also don't sense a ton of concern here because even as there's a bunch of starters to replace, there still feels like a good amount of continuity with the number of snap snaps that are just fundamentally returning here. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of snaps returning and you know, it's to the point where the defense does have the benefit of my doubt, you know, because the last, you know, four or three years since four years, since uh, Manny Diaz has been here, the defense has been, you know, very good top 15, or, you know, top 20 or better uh, for those four years. Mm -hmm. Three as defensive coordinator and then one as head coach. So, you know, the names have changed, but the game remains the same on that side of the ball. And it's really just plugging in the next guy up. Uh, at linebacker, you got Zach McLeod, who redshirted last year. He came in with Quarterman and Pinckney. So he's a fifth-year senior. He's going to be in there. Uh, and then you got Avery Huff and Sam Brooks, who are not as seasoned as Pinckney was, or Quarterman for that matter. But they're way more athletic. I mean, way, 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 way. You got Brooks, who's 6'3", 220. You got a, uh, Huff, who's 6'3", 225, 230, and can run. I mean, run, run. Um, Avery Huff is a guy who, you know, he played at St. Thomas Aquinas. They played him literally everywhere because he can run. I mean, he had snaps where he was literally playing free safety in high school because he can run like that. Um, and at St. Thomas Aquinas playing that kind of schedule too. So it's not just as some little part of the town where he's just like, okay, we're going to put him anywhere. Like, no, he could to that level playing national schedule and also one of the hard, uh, highest classifications in Florida high school football uh, and just being able to hold his own anywhere athletically. Uh, yeah, he's a beast. So you get more athletic at that position, even though you're not as seasoned. So 
there's things to like, even though you do lose two guys there. And then, okay, you want to take in uh, Romeo Finley, who played at that third level as striker. You have Gilbert Frierson and Keontre Smith. Um, some people like Frierson. Other people like Smith to start, even though he's only a uh, sophomore. Who knows? But you have, you know, again, I think a little bit more athleticism uh, at that just across the line there. So you can do different things. So you're not going to have, you know, Quarterman who sees – you know, who started every game of his college career, 50-something games. And he could see, okay, Georgia Tech came out with this personnel package and they had this, you know, different kind of split alignment. Oh, I remember my freshman year up at Georgia Tech when they did this, that he doesn't, you might not have the encyclopedic, you know, knowledge of plays from being on the field with those guys, but you have way more athleticism where you can say, I can scheme some stuff up or just say, see ball, get ball. You know, because Sam Brooks did that in the ball game. His first career start, he had 12, ta- uh, 12 tackles. Avery Huff is as athletic, if not more athletic, and I think he's more athletic than Sam Brooks, and he had that kind of performance. So there's that. At defensive end, obviously, you know, you bring in Quincy Roche, the reigning AAC Defensive Player of the Year from Temple. Uh, he had the most uh, quarterback pressures of any collegiate defensive end who's returning this year anywhere in the, in, uh, in college. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> um, and then across from him, sure, you lose Greg Russo, but he passes on the number 15 back to someone who used to wear it and is wearing it again. And that being 2017's number one overall recruit in America, Jalen Phillips, who played at UCLA. And then they said he should medically retire, but he came over here, transferred, sat out last year, got his body right. He's 6'6", 265 pounds and ran upwards of 22 miles an hour uh, during speed testing in the offseason. That will work. So, you know, yeah, you lose a first round draft pick. In Russo, but you get a guy uh, who Russo has even said is, you know, as, you know, big and tall and wingspan long and probably more athletic there as well. Then you got Jafari Harvey at defensive end. You got Chance Williams coming in, Quinton Williams coming in, Cam Williams. Um, there's another Williams at defensive end. None of them related, all the same last name, but hey, uh, you know, so if you, you do that and then, you know, at defensive tackle, sure, you got John Ford and Nessa Silvera uh, who are plugging in as well. But again, I think at a lot of these positions, those are guys who have seen snaps and uh, you're replacing you're replacing like with like. You know, you, you lose a first round talent in Russo. You get a first round talent in uh, Phillips. Now, obviously, he needs to meet that level of performance, but you have that kind of, uh, you know, skill set. And then coaches are saying that Jafari Harvey might be more athletic than all of them. So you got Greg Russo saying Jalen Phillips is more athletic than him. You got coaches saying that Jafari Harvey might be the most athletic player at defensive end overall. I mean, and then safety, you got three NFL players in Amari Carter, Gervin Hall, and Bubba Bolden, who transferred over from USC before last year. I mean, then you add in, you know, other guys to that uh, that room as well. Unfortunately, Avante Williams, the number one safety recruit in last year's recruiting class, has a medical issue, so he's going to sit out this season. Uh, but you're still stacked with NFL level talent at safety, the position of concern for me is cornerback. I mean, you got some guys with names, Al gold, I'm oh, sorry. Al blades jr. Um, is a junior this year. DJ Ive is a junior this year. Um, you know, and you got other four stars there, Isaiah Dunson, Christian Williams, uh, to Corey couch, things like that, but it, it's largely unproven. So you really have Al blades jr. As, as the number one cornerback. And then you're looking to see who's going to be, you know, your number two in your slot. But I mean, yeah, pretty much, all these positions, you have guys who have game experience, if nothing else. So one cornerback slot, both safety slots, um, you know, defensive tackles, rotation defensive ends, starting defensive ends, uh, and things like that. Yeah, there, there's just a lot to like. Plus the fact this coaching staff and this scheme is just ready-made to have players go make plays. And Miami has that in spades on defense. Cam, 
Special teams, go. Special teams was atrocious last year, especially the kicking game. Lewis there Headley's is. back at Lewis Headley's back at punter. Uh, he has the tattoos everywhere. He actually got a tattoo on his head this year. Uh, our Australian 27-year-old, 28-year-old now. Um, yeah, yeah, so he's a rock star, and he's going to hopefully continue to lock that down. Jose Borregales comes over from FIU uh, as the kicker and his brother Andres is committed in this recruiting class. And uh, Jose Borregales was a semifinalist for the Grills Award, so I think that that should be an upgrade as opposed to what we saw with three kickers and none of them actually being really good last year for Miami. So what we're saying is it can't get worse. You know, I mean, yeah, 2018, it couldn't get worse. And then we had last year and it got worse. So hopefully this year, it actually swings on the upswing. Can't possibly get worse again. Yeah, there we go. Okay. I'll, I'll always be tickled by the, uh, the old Cartman can't possibly fail a second time operation. Um, <laughs> that, that's perfect. And, and it's funny because somebody asked me after the 2000. 18 season uh, on Twitter. They said, okay, so what do you predict uh, this or next year's record is going to be? And I said, well, it's going to be better than 7-6. I know that. Wrong. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cam, let's look at the schedule real quick here. So we've currently got 11 games in the schedule opening up against UAB. Will that be played? Will it not? Who's to say at this point? I, I really don't. I don't want to harp on that game too much. Miami damn well had better win that game. Like it's at home and there's just no excuse, but um, let's look at the 10 conference games in particular. And it feels like, I mean, this is a relatively forgiving schedule, but man, they had better be ready to play out the gate because the first three games at Louisville home against Florida state at Clemson, that that's probably easily your toughest back to back to back stretch of the entire year that I guess we'll find out a lot about kind of what Miami is and, and how well that offense is gelling early on. Yeah, I mean, and the on paper, the good thing is Miami gets a bye week before Clemson. The bad thing mm-hmm. is last year, remember Manny Diaz his first year as head coach, the performance got progressively worse after each subsequent bye week, of which there were three. Because we played week zero, so it was one week one, there was one like week four, one week nine, or something like that. But after each bye week, the performance got worse and worse. So it could be good. It could be bad. We'll see. Uh, but no, Miami does need to come out uh, and, and, and be ready to play. And obviously the schedule is, is way harder than what it was. Uh, you drop Duke off of the, of the coastal division schedule. So we play the other five coastal division teams, drop Duke, and then you add Louisville Clemson um, and somebody and NC state. So you add those three uh, from the Atlantic division, you know, I know that we're playing division lists, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, but so, yeah, the schedule is, is way tougher. And obviously, you know, I think that, I mean, yeah, just Miami and Clemson, that was a game that we were circling for the ACC championship game, not week five. So, uh, I mean, it is going to be a little challenging. Obviously you have a rivalry game week four against, uh, or week three, excuse me, against Florida state. Um you know, that game's just different. And then Louisville, yeah, we beat them last year and hung up all those points and uh, record-setting Jaron Williams' performance. But, like, you got to be ready to play because that team, they're getting better and they have talent and they can obviously put points on the board. <sighs> Man. I, like, like, my, like I've felt about Miami now for the past three or four years, I look at the schedule and I'm like, man, Miami should win a bunch of these games. Back. And then I sit there at the end of the year and I'm like, 
what? Why didn't Miami exactly. win a bunch of these games? Like, what are they doing? And then it's like rinse repeat because Miami, like you mentioned off the top, recruits better than every other team in this conference, not named Clemson. It's a fact, right? And they are the most talented team in the conference outside of Clemson at this point in time. And they have been for a while. It's just more definitive now. And mm-hmm. I just look at the schedule every single year and I'm like, look, Miami's got more talent than every single team on this schedule except for Clemson this year. And now I'm looking at this and I'm like, they should win nine or ten games. But the reality is, I don't think they're going to win nine or ten games until they show me, and I'm not talking like show me that they're going to win ten like they did a few years ago when you and I knew that it was fraudulent. Uh Like they had Uh a great defense, incredible turnover luck, and enough playmakers on offense to make Malik Rozier look passable. But uh-huh. at the same time, we knew we knew Cam and Joey. Or, I know you knew it too. We talked about it a million times. We the knew Georgia Tech game the, right team, the Georgia Tech game. We knew it. We we looked at it. We said, you know what? They consistently get. They consistently bail themselves out in the last play of the game, which is what good teams need to do. But they consistently did it, and it only was a matter of time until they didn't make that play in the last two or three minutes of the game, right? I'm, so I'm then, shout out to the solid verbal LRO. Luck runs out, man. Yep. Some point the clock strikes twelve, baby. Yep. So that's what happened against Pittsburgh, and then they lost to a decisively better team in, in Clemson, and then the Wisconsin game happens in the Orange yeah. Bowl, right? So. Look again. I look at the schedule. I say, you know what? Miami's more talented than all these teams except for Clemson and they should win a majority of these football games. Maybe. And Joey, I'm, I'm breaking the rules because I know we're supposed to do this like outside of our, we're supposed to do a whole intro outro thing. I'm calling the Miami, cops as we speak, Mike. I, I, I knew you would. I knew you would, buddy. I say seven wins. Okay. Do you think that's fair? I mean, I don't know. I, they should win more than that, but I, right. What do we set over under at seven and a half? And we're primarily talking the ten game schedule here, right, Mike? Right. Yeah, I'm not talking UAB. I it, they'll win. They oh, they should win that game. <laughs> should be the free. The non conference. Yeah, yeah. The not the non conference games. We we are always like, man, that's okay. They should beat FIU. Should like, but should. UAB is a very very good um, mid major team. You know, obviously they had a year off of football. People were like, oh, yeah, you know, because the Alabama legislature just got scared that they were going to take away from the brand of Alabama Crimson Tide. But you're not getting those same guys that go up there. But, I mean, look, that's a solid team, man. So uh, respect all opponents and fear none, but overlook none as well. Um, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to, you know, really sit here and worry about them. But, you know, we need to come out there and, and take them seriously. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a seven or a ten game schedule, the ACC conference schedule, I mean, you you could talk me into anywhere between six and seven and a half for an over under. Six, yeah. six and a half, seven, seven. I mean, and, and yeah. you could justify that, honestly yeah. and truly. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But for me, like, and uh, like, there's a couple people who kind of they they picked up on the on the game, if you will. It's not a bit because like, yeah, I'm not going to go all in uh, until I see it. But I, I mean, I said seven and five coming off of last season. Right. I said, well, you know, we got, and they said all the things that we've all said, the same things that Mike, you said, Joey, we talked about this before. Like I've always, Miami has the talent. I mean, that's not, that's an incontrovertible fact. Mm-hmm. You just do. 
but we've also underperformed. We've done less with more than any program in America the last almost 20 years relative to the level of talent on the roster. So for me, yeah, I'm going to say seven, seven-ish wins, somewhere in there. And like, look, yeah, and, and I know people are going to be like, can't. Look, you really – but, I mean, again, time and time again, Miami has proven that – and it, it bears it out. I've always said if Miami handles Miami's business, then Miami can win. And the only team that can really hold them back is Miami. And that's discounting games against Clemson where clearly in you know the past when we played them in 2015 and 17, they were on a different caliber of program. So we would have to have played a perfect game to even really have competed with them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all these other games. If Miami handles Miami's business and plays Miami football on offense, defense, and special teams, Miami should win the vast majority of these games. I've not seen that. And far be it from me at this point, after all these years, seeing what I've seen, to blindly, and because I've talked to, you know, with other people, I said, okay, that's just blind faith. And I get it because I'm a faithful person. Like, you know what? I'm a Christian. Like, yeah, I get it. You know, we walk by faith and not by sight. But sometimes you've got to see in this, in this kind of a thing, you know, trans, I mean, I'm not going to get preaching on you. But in the world of sports, I can't just have blind faith. I have to see tangible results. And we haven't seen it. So for me, I'm going to be with you, Mike. Seven wins. Prove me wrong. And I hope yep. to God that you do. But until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Seven wins this season. Prove me wrong. I, I openly dare you to make me look stupid. We have a lot of reason to have good faith in the uh, the good Lord above, Cam. We don't have as much reason to have faith in Manny Diaz and his staff yet. So <laughs> I think it's... There it is. <laughs> I mean, hey, that, facts are facts. <laughs> oh, goodness. Cam, I never thought I'd see the day that you, know, you were coming on this podcast saying some of these things, but here we are. <laughs> 2020 <laughs> is an interesting time indeed. <laughs> I mean, it, it is, it is, but I mean, I could, look, I could make the argument. I could easily make the, you know, the highly hero, orange and green glasses, you know, Miami bro argument. I can, I mean, it wouldn't take me long. Look, we got Derek King was a five or 4,000, over 4,000 yard season with 50 touchdowns. He was doing numbers last year before he decided to sit out because that Houston team was atrocious on defense. Look, okay. So, I mean, people are saying, well, he didn't have the exact same numbers. They were pretty similar. If you actually go look on a uh, per game basis for the four that he played. So you got that guy, you got this guy from SMU calling these plays. They had 500 something yards of offense. Every game, you got a running back who, uh, you know, got dry or got picked up as a undrafted free agent. You got a receiver in Prochet who again is a four, seven guy, but he had 1300 yards of offense. We got multiple guys who were that kind of talented. you got the best tight end in America. You got a, the best number two tight end in America in uh, Will Mallory. you got an offensive line that has talented guys, blue chips on all like at every single position. Sure. You got Jared Williams coming over from Houston who started or uh, played in 38 games, played with Jerry King. Boom. You got running backs in more. You can shake a stick at. I got Cam Harris. I got Jalen Knight. I got uh, Donald Chaney Jr. I even got Robert Burns who can probably come in and do some of that. Check, check, check. I got first round draft pick potential on defense right here. I got Quincy Roche reigning AAC Defensive Player of the Year. I got Jalen Phillips who's the number one overall recruit in America a few years ago. I got who Gregory Russo said is more athletic than him. Then you got uh, Jafari Harvey behind those guys who the coaches say is the most athletic guy at defensive end. I got 
seven different guys with the last name Williams, a defensive end, who are all uh, tall with, you know, long wingspans. I got multiple guys at defensive tackle. I got more athletic linebackers than I had before. And, and I got a fifth year senior coming back to steady the ship with that game experience. I got at least three NFL players at safety. I got Al Blaze Jr. locking down one cornerback. I'm going to develop these other cornerbacks because that's all Mike Rump does is develop cornerbacks and get them drafted. I got a beast kicker who's a semifinalist for the kicker of the year. I got one of the best punters in America. And I've upgraded to every single position on the roster in terms of talent and depth. Tell me why we can't win 10 games. That argument is there. And the reason why Miami can't win 10 games, or I'm sitting here and a little skeptical of them winning 10 games, is what I've seen from Miami in the past. So just as quick as I <laughs> made that argument, it took me one sentence to tear it all down. I just ruined that sandcastle. Seven wins prove me wrong. I was going to say, that that was... A solid like two two and a half minutes of argument for why, and it was torn down in six seconds. So like, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what you need to know, I guess. I, I mean, exactly. I mean, it, and you don't have to look far in the rearview mirror. I mean, look, look, everybody knows FIU, bro. FIU. I I I wait for the day that we put them on the schedule, and then we do uh, pinball numbers on the scoreboard against them, because they're gonna talk because that's what you would do if you beat. You know, David beat Goliath for the one time ever. We're going to discount the 537 when y'all whooped our butt. But this one right here, we're going to talk about that one. And we're going to do it On because Wayne that's Street. the one that we have to talk about. Yep. Lost to Duke Street, in consecutive years. Come on. For the first time in program history, you're the only team, the only team in Division One football that scored zero points in your bowl game. Every other team against every other opponent scored points in their bowl game, regardless of the mismatch, regardless of the injury, regardless of anything else. Every other team put a point on the board in the bowl game other than Miami. Look, the, and no, again, those are what? Three of the last four games or the last three games of last year. I didn't go far in the distant past to give you that. So if you're thinking, oh man, you're thinking of this stuff from, da, 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 you mentioned 2017, da, 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 da. fine. I gave you the last three games from 2019. Bro, it's not far in the past. That's what I'm talking about. That is the 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 the, the nasty taste in my mouth from this program. So, do they have the talent relative to other teams? Absolutely. Do I think that they have good coaching or upgraded coaching at every slot? Yes. Do I think that Manny Diaz has gotten to be a better head coach through the failings of last year? I sure to God hope so. But again, I need to see it before I believe that they're going to have the kind of performance week in and week out that you have to have. And whether Miami is good or whether Miami is bad, the thing and this is the thing that people miss. And it's, it's not like words mean things. So people always want to say Miami is not relevant. Miami is not relevant. You're wrong. Miami is always relevant. Miami has not been very good. Those two things are different. But whether Miami is good or whether Miami is bad, Miami is relevant. So all these teams are going to have Miami as their Super Bowl. You're going to see effort from them when they're playing against the U that you would not otherwise see. And we've heard it from these other teams, these other coaches. They will come after the game and say that. You had, what's his name? Got fired in North Carolina. Fedora, when they blew us out a couple of years ago and Marquise Williams threw the U down and everything, said, oh, yeah, no, we, we have Miami coming in here. So we had to do whatever. It's always going to be that kind of a thing. The target is going to be on our back. Why? Because we were jerks for 20 years when we whipped everybody's ass. 
So now that they got some time to get some get back, they want to get the get back. But these college kids, and I get it because, yeah, whatever, you know, the, the, the airy nature of youth, they come in and think, okay, well, because I go to Miami, which has this reputation based upon what Miami was, these other teams are going to lie down. No, these teams know that this Miami is not what that Miami once was, and they're going to take their shot. And this program has proven time and again that they're not mentally ready for the rigors of this kind of a schedule where you play a championship game every single week. And people talk about uh, a Nick Saban for being maniacal on the pursuit of perfection every single week. Oh, well, two have missed one throw or he because you have to have that kind of singular focus. And until I see that from Miami, I'm not going to believe. And I mean, we've seen it in little doses. The back-to-back 2017 Virginia Tech-Notre Dame two weeks when we hosted the APM ABC game, those two weeks in a row. That was awesome. The kind of focus, I mean, I remember being in the stadium, sitting front row with my buddy Matt Washington uh, during the Notre Dame game. And after Notre Dame got, got their one touchdown, and that stadium, I mean, we're still rocking. We're still, no, we're blowing them out. It's 35 to 8 at that point, I want to say, or 41 to 8, the final score. And the only thing you could hear was defensive line coach Craig Gulagowski absolutely lighting into the defensive line for being out of position for stat hunting. And you MFers and da da da, and that's why they scored. And that kind of singular focus on perfection has been so fleeting for this program. And until we have that, to marry with this elite level of talent, we're not going to achieve the success that is there to be achieved. So I mean, yeah, it started off as a little bit of a joke, but that is really the heart of everything with this answer. Until they prove it, I'm not going to believe it. And I hope that they do because the talent is there. The schedule, sure, is a little harder than it was before COVID and the reworking and everything. But there's still games to be won. If you play 11 games, you should still be winning nine or 10 of them bad boys. You know, hopefully you make it competitive against Clemson. You know, but again, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it because this program has squandered chance time and time and time again. Cam, you said it all, man. I really appreciate your your time and your generosity here for, again, taking the time with us. As mentioned, it is always an absolute treat having you on, and we really appreciate it. You want to tell the people real quick where they can find your stuff? Yeah, man, it's always good to catch up with you guys, so uh, appreciate you inviting me on. Um Managing editor for stateoftheu.com. So go to the website on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at the state of the U. My personal Twitter account is at Underwood Sports, where I tweet about sports and video games and HGTV stuff and also below deck. So, you know, just be prepared for that, but a hashtag appropriately. Uh, so I'm there for all those kind of things. Uh, you know, and here, there, everywhere, guest hosting and popping in on people's podcasts and things as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much always on the Internet and in those places. But if nothing else that you remember, please go over to the website, stateoftheview.com. We have a great team over there. We would love it if you came and fanned with us. And once again, if you're looking for uh, breakdowns of Cam's road to the show, at Underwood Sports on Twitter is, is the best way to find that. Bro, I haven't even played that one recently. I've been playing, uh, you know, uh, shout out to Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation. Uh, who was furloughed, but he's now he's back. He was doing this college hoops on his uh, Xbox 360. So I actually ordered one off of eBay for my PS3. So I've been playing that heavy uh, as I went from UC Riverside to the University of Maryland. Um, there's one destination job uh, in this uh, dynasty or legacy uh, that I'm looking for. So if that job does not come open, I'm probably going to stay at Maryland uh, for the duration. I think I'm in year 20. Wait, I can tell you because I have a spreadsheet of all my seasons. Are they still in the ACC? Uh, yes. 
Yes. <laughs> um, so still in the ACC. Usually open up on a Sunday against Miami, ironically enough. Uh, but I'm heading into year 18, which is going to be the 2024-25 season. Because, again, this is College Hoops 2K8, so it started uh, back then. Uh, you know, so I'm doing all the recruiting and playing, uh, simming up uh, the games, and I'm I'm trying to practice a little bit. But between that, oh, and I got to get back on Ghost of Tsushima uh, as well. So I mean, I got some video game stuff on there and some reality <laughs> TV and everything. So yeah, I'm doing all that. But uh, no, like I said, man, it's always great to catch up with you guys. Thanks for having me on. We'll catch you, you know, hopefully sometime soon. Thanks, Never man. a dull moment with Cam Sweater. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it. We'll we'll have you on again sometime real soon, and look forward to seeing how this all works out for Miami this year. Exactly. I will be too, especially in week five when we beat Clemson. Let's go. Mike, any rebuttal to that? (sighs) I'll leave that right there, Cameron. (laughs) I'll Uh, leave that right there. I tried trolling for a response. I didn't get one. I'll I'll work on some things to get something out of Mike later. Appreciate it, brother. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. All right, Mike, that was our conversation with Mr. Cam Underwood. Once again, stateoftheu.com, at Underwood Sports, at the State of the U on Twitter, all things Miami. Again, just an unbelievable resource uh, for anybody trying to find more about the uh, Miami football program or Miami athletics in general. I want to take a, a look at the record prediction here for Miami. And what I thought was absolutely fascinating. So first of all, you gave your pick already. You, you said you think Miami is going to go seven and three. And I, I thought that was a little bit aggressive, but I thought what was even a little more surprising was that was Cam's prediction as well. Cam, again, previously undying Homer optimist. at this point of this Miami program. Yeah, optimist. Sure, we'll, be, we'll call it that. That he comes back and says that he thinks that Miami's going to lose three of these games is kind of telling of what we think of this program and this coaching staff in this day and age. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It says a lot, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Cam is uh, a little bit more of a tempered tone these days, doesn't he? He has a little bit more of a... <laughs> it's almost like he's gone to war with a bunch of idiots one too many times. And it's like, man, do we really have to... <laughs> do we really really have to go to battle with Manny Diaz once more? It's like... Am I going to get burned by this again? Right. Yeah. I'd rather get swept up by a hurricane than watch the hurricanes. So that's where he's at with it at this point. And I can't say I blame him. Um, yep. It's not a talent thing with Miami. And it was really funny when he was like, yeah, it's not a talent thing with Miami. Uh, I just feel like we've consistently underperformed for most of the last 20 years, which I find hilarious that that's even a conversation that we're having at this point as an outsider who really doesn't care for Miami really at all. And Cam knows that, but we love him. So it's, we we can all agree. Miami probably should have won a national title in 2001 or January, 2002, if not for phantom pass interference. And since then it has been some level of disappointing year in and year out. Yeah. Since getting beaten by Craig Krenzel and Maurice Claret, it's been a struggle for the Hurricanes. And, I mean, Cam and I tried to tell him a few years ago. We were like, hey, man, like, congrats on the 10 wins, but, like, your quarterback still kind of sucks. So this is going to bite you in mm-hmm. the ass at some point. And sure enough, it did um, in the way of Pittsburgh and then uh, Clemson and then, oh, my God, Wisconsin <laughs> in the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, Wisconsin basically had issues completing a downfield pass, even worse than Miami did, really, for the majority of that season. Wisconsin finds themselves in the Orange Bowl and blows the doors off Miami in the second half. So that's kind of how things really started getting out of control. And now it's just like, man, a really talented roster again. Don't pick them, don't pick them, don't pick them. Like, don't yeah. pick them to win the ACC. Don't pick them to win the, the Coastal in a perfect world, but non-COVID world. So no. it's just... One of those deals again with Miami. And this is where, you know, I think we were talking about kind of just general coastal division power rankings at some point a couple of months ago, back when we had divisions in the ACC. Um, and this is where of the seven teams, it's like I'm picking Miami to go third. Like, as mentioned in the discussion with Cam, Miami pretty far and away has more talent on their roster, one through 85, than anybody in the ACC, not in Clemson. Yeah. But there's also no a reason that, that we're picking them third in the coastal, you know, right? Yeah. So that that's just kind of where these things come down. I, I, as I look at the schedule, Mike, it's, it is, it is so tough to kind of rectify some of these matchups and some of these games with the, the lack of a complete understanding, I guess, of what Miami is going to be on offense. Right. Um, not only a, a somewhat drastic change in scheme, plus a, a pretty impressive, you know, quarterback joining the room, but also like they've barely had the chance to practice. And I just, I don't know what they're going to be, what it's going to look like. Is it going to work? Is it not? I, by all means, it seems like it should work, whether it's with, you know, Derek King, whether it's with Nikosi Perry one way or the other, but I just haven't seen it. And, and there is still that skepticism of like, does Manny Diaz really know what he's doing running a football program as a head coach? Right. I wasn't super excited when they hired him as a head coach, as a guy that had no experience. Oh, come on I, now. He had 10, he had like 10 days at Temple. That is true. That is true. Um, RIP Manny Diaz, Temple Owls. Um, what a time that was. Um, I, so do I really trust a Manny Diaz program to go better than one and two in a stretch at Louisville, home against Florida State, by week at Clemson? Like, do, do I tr – really what I'm saying is do they win both at Louisville and at home against Florida State right out the gate? Maybe. Probably. I, I don't know. I feel worse about Louisville than I do Florida State. At least you get that game at home. And Florida State's doing their own little rebuild of sorts. Um so more or less like going out of the gate, go to Louisville. Can you win that game? I can. I don't know that I trust that they will. Yeah, especially considering what Louisville brings back on offense. And you're going to have to try to keep up from a scoring standpoint with them. Now, Miami's defense should be pretty good. But it's one of those deals where it's like Louisville's got the established offense. Miami's got all of this intrigue with Rhett Lashley as the offensive coordinator. D.R. King obviously coming in at quarterback. And they have all of this excitement around the program. And, of course, Miami has a bunch of really good skill position guys. But a road trip to Louisville out of the gate, like that's a pretty big test. Um, because mm -hmm. I still don't know if that I still don't know if that UAB non-conference game is going to happen. So anyway. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, Cam mentioned last night, like you can't really overlook the UAB game either. I know we've been focusing largely on conference games as we've been breaking this down because the non-conference schedule has been so fluid with all these ACC teams, but you can't really overlook UAB. And then you got Louisville in week two and then a rivalry game against Florida State again at home, which is good, but you get them in, in week three. 
it's really hard to handicap this thing, right? And there's a path for Miami to be really good and win, you know, eight, nine, ten games. And, you know, we, we talked about that when we were speaking with Cam, but there's also a scenario here where it's like, man, road trip to Louisville, home game against Florida State, a rivalry game that, you know, Mike Norvell will get the guys up for going on the road to Clemson is murder's row. Like you're going to die. <laughs> um, and then you got, don't, don't forget Pittsburgh. It comes after that. Like, uh, yeah. And, and that's, yeah, exactly. And that's what I was about to say. Like now you got Pittsburgh and Miami's had their fair share of issues with Pittsburgh over the years with Kenny Pickett. Just remember what happened when he was a true freshman and went in and beat a 10 and 0 Miami team on Black Friday. Like this is not, mm-hmm. I guess, 11 and an 11 and 0 team on Black Friday. So this is not a, um, this is not a now 10 and 0. They had a game canceled for a hurricane. Yeah, 10 and 0. Yeah, they had a hur- hurricane cancellation in there. Anyway, they were 10 and 0 going into that pit. Yeah, either way, either way, undefeated going into that Pittsburgh game. Yeah, true freshman beat you, and that true freshman is now a senior. And I don't think Kenny Pickett's very good, but they've had issues with Pittsburgh, and that's a game you got to prepare for. And that's before you even talk about the Virginia Tech game on the road. You got UNC towards the end of the year. You host them, thankfully, but this could get sideways for Miami for sure. So I, I don't think it'll be as good as some Miami fans think it'll be. And I certainly don't think it'll be as bad as I just potentially outlined. So that's why I'm sitting there saying seven wins in the ACC seems pretty reasonable, right? It's like kind of the best of best of both worlds. Um, And I think that would be a pretty average performance for this roster, but at the same time, like prove us wrong. (laughs) Like we'll, we'll just kind of pit this on the low end of the scale here. And you guys just need to, prove us wrong for once um, yeah and, and that's kind of and prove us wrong in a good way instead of proving us wrong in a bad way where everybody's picking you to win the coastal year in and year out and you show up and you know lose to fiu and get raw dog by duke and yeah it's just crap ass georgia tech and yeah, yeah all of them i yeah i'm i think i'm with you i actually like the seven and three prediction i think that's i think that's pretty reasonable and some of what I'm handicapping in here is I think with the scheme change and again, adding Derek King to the quarterback room, there's going, they were, there will be some improvement on offense. Like the last couple of years, it has been such a mess to watch and it will be better this year, given a couple of the folks that are around it. It will like just inherently it will. Now I, I think the defense is going to take some amount of step back. Um, like it's it won't be as good, but it'll still be pretty good. But then again, compare all that against the schedule. They got to start at Louisville, home against Florida State, at Clemson, home against Pittsburgh. That is a rough stretch. There's no off weeks other than the one actual off week um, in the first four games of the year. I if you don't go at least two and two over that stretch, you're gonna have a hard time. I don't know that you can win the follow the final six games and that's home against Virginia at NC state at Virginia tech home against Georgia tech at wake forest home against North Carolina. They're really probably the two- going four, four and two there, right? Like worst case, like they're probably not losing to NC state. They're probably not losing to UVA. They're probably not losing to wake forest. Like there's, Tech and UNC are the two, and Georgia Tech, sorry. And so Tech and UNC are the no. are the two toughest games remaining on the schedule. So you're looking at probably four and two worst case in that stretch, which means you're got four loss season without the without the non conference game. I mean, when is when is the last time, Mike, that Miami lost to Georgia Tech at home? 
Like, can you remember a time that's ever happened? Nope. Let me just check the record. Oh, hey, it was last year. What hmm. do you know? What do you know? Hmm. With what leading the passer, punter Presley Harvin III for Georgia Dear Tech. God. <laughs> Dropping dimes on a fake punt anyways. Yeah, um, the Georgia Tech quarterback experience Miami lost to last year. Just another <laughs> nice reminder. They lost to two teams. They lost to three teams. I'm sorry if you include FIU because I'm not sure FIU made a bowl game either. They lost to three games that three teams that didn't make a bowl game last year. And in the bowl game, they lost to Louisiana Tech. That's not great. Um, mm. I, the, the the point really being here is that I don't know which of those games that you look at in the last six and you say they can't lose this game. There's there's two very clearly like good high quality teams there and that's at Virginia Tech and it's home against you know UNC and you you get kind of some buffer there of like it's not like back to back games or anything like that so that's that's all good but again what have we seen from Miami in the last decade that says that there is pretty much a game on the schedule that they just cannot possibly lose several one several yeah. games and then they figure out a way to lose we just listed out a bunch from last year like mm-hmm. we just talked about the pittsburgh game when they were 10 and 0 going into black friday and they were in the playoff hunt we i yep. mean this is this happens a lot yeah. with miami and it's why cam has now tempered expectations cam the ultimate optimist tempering expectations that that's where we're at 2020 is hitting us all hard oh yeah <laughs> all right Seven and three for you, Mike. Seven and three for me. Seven and three for Cam. That seems like a, a consensus, as they call it in the business. So, Joey, um, Joey, do they lose to UAB mm-hmm. if that UAB game gets played? Do they lose to UAB? Think they find a way to win that? No, no. Yeah, they'll win that game. Okay. Um, I'll look up real quick. See if I've got a, uh, a win total for Miami, and this is from April seventh. So this is out of twelve. The win total is eight and a half. So I guess scale that back. Probably two out of conference wins is probably what you're scaling that back. So call it six and a half. Man, I don't know what I, what direction I'd go. Six and a half out of out of ten. I don't know. I'd lean over. Just. By some, but like I wouldn't feel very good about it. Not when you and I are both saying seven wins. <laughs> like, I mean, there, there's six games on the schedule that we're saying are very much losable games. Like, one of them's Clemson. The other, five, I mean, do you really trust trust this Miami program to go three and two again the other five games? No, I mean Cam doesn't even trust him to do that. Yeah, so. <laughs> There's your answer. Maybe maybe they should be saying six and four for all I know. I don't know. Right. I don't know. It's it could be messy. And I, I think Mandy Diaz, by the way, if they just look like a mismanaged program this year again, he's out the door too. Like they're not going to keep him. So then what do you what do mm-hmm. you do? Right. Because you're coming off. If it goes real sideways for Miami, it's going to be like the second straight year that happens. Number one, but also number two, like you're dealing with like losses to FIU and Louisiana tech and bad Duke and bad Georgia tech plus whatever happens this year, it could be real ugly. And that's coming off of like the mm-hmm. bad Mark Rick last couple, you know, Mark Rick had a rough last couple of years too. So like 
you're stringing together four or five straight years of like mediocre football. And it's just like, what are, what are the options for Miami moving forward? This is a really important year for Miami. People talk about like other schools in the conference, how pivotal the year it is really, really important year for the hurricanes. Even if you're not winning some of these games, make it look good. Please. I mean, because in a lot of those games last year, they were losing. I mean, they couldn't even really move the football at all. And it should that should yeah. be fixed at least a little bit this year. Yeah. Like, it, it, even if you lose the game, make it close, move the ball, look competent. Like some of those things, optics might be as big as anything here. But anyways, Mike, that's all, I, all I've got in Miami. I think we've gone long enough here. Uh, anything else before we jump off? I think we're good. All right. Let's move on. Uh, we're going to come back and preview some more teams. In the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you can find Cam Underwood on Twitter at Underwood Sports, all one word, or at The State of the U, all one word once again. So please go do that for all of your Miami coverage. And again, we really, really appreciate him coming on. Uh, Mike, they can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. You can find us on iTunes, Google, whatever Google's podcast thing is at this point, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And most importantly, on the Anchor app. Thanks to those who have. Uh, Mike, you want somewhere they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have. Uh, again, share us with your friends. We really appreciate those who do. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? I think we're good, man. On to the next preview. I was going to say, you want to come back and preview some more teams? We have to. And we're getting a little bit closer now to, I mean, we, we've locked down a handful more interviews here and we're moving in a really good direction here. And, and college football looks like it could happen still. So that's encouraging also. Yeah, for at least as far as the ACC is concerned, it is uh, supposedly still happening. So we'll uh, let you know if anything changes. But other, other until then, uh, we, uh, we we continue on here. Yep. Uh, Mike, we will uh, we will talk again soon. Yes, sir. All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, and for Mr. Cam Underwood, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.